and I keep worrying. I hear that buzzing, and eventually it's going to like come out of the wall and like sting me. That's what I'm waiting for. Again with the wasps. So, Dave, I hear you're all hepped up on goofballs. Yeah, yep, yep. Just, uh, yeah, I got a, uh, uh, little twinge nerve, so it's like, uh, taking some medicine for that. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I got, I got, a, I got a twinge nerve. I got, a, I got a lot of twinge nerves. Do I, yeah. do I get, can I get medicine? How do I get Yeah, I'll send you some. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Actually, we're, what, 12 seconds into the episode, we're already committing felonies. That's great. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Man, we both had we both had busy weeks here. Um, in fact, kind of a late show today, which is which is uh, kind of refreshing, frankly. Um, yeah, it's nice to just get get in there, do the work, get out. That's that that'll be the business today. You know what? Hmm. Lauren what? is in hiding right now. She's in hiding. Yeah. Is she so, is she wanted? Is she distributing Schedule One narcotics? <laughs> no, no. I I got her that Leviathan book that you recommended. Mm. And and she's just like, I, it's like in three hours she read it cover to cover. Yes. And then um, and now I'm like, uh, I got it from our library. Our libraries here are awesome. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's like I ordered it from the website, and it was like at the drive up window when you go to pick it up. It's like fantastic. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, then I'm like, well, do you want me to return it to the library? You're all done with it. And she's like, no, I'm going to read it again. And uh, so she's like reading it again, and it's actually a trilogy. And there's like a fourth book that is like some graphic novel, comic, yep. uh, you know, thing. Yep. And so we picked up the other books last night, and uh, and she's just like locked herself in a room, and it's like just she burned through one of the books last night, and and she's just like it's like oh it's so good, so it's good. great recommendation. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's really that that makes me happy. Um, I remember I remember doing that with uh, Incarnations of Immortality, the Piers Anthony series. Uh-huh. Did, you ever, did you ever read that? No. It's a, it, it's great. It was another young adult novel, and it was uh, uh, each book is a different um, immortal. So there's death, uh, war. Um, and so on and so on. And the notion is that, uh, for each of these, um, immortals, each of these immortal characteristics or attributes, I forget what the word is, um, they, uh, they get a mortal to, uh, in which, which they inhabit. And that mortal is then imbued with certain kind of powers. Right. So, um, it's the story of, uh, one particular, one particular mortal taking on the role of death or taking on the role of war. Um, I think there were some, I, I can't remember all the incarnations, but I remember same thing. I just locked myself in my room. I'm, maybe I was 11, uh, locked mm-hmm. myself in the room and just disappeared into those books for like a week. It was wonderful. Just a, it's a great feeling. I love it. Oh, well, you have to add that to the uh, show notes. Um, it, it, yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Add it to the show we need to have like a young adult book club or something. <laughs> that's right. Don't be creepy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. I mean, then we could we could we could have a Dave and Gunner's book club and uh, do it in a white panel van, and we could drive around neighborhoods, uh, encouraging kids to uh, to read young adult novels out of our unmarked yeah. white panel van. Giving out candy. Giving out candy. That'd be creepy. Okay, moving very swiftly along. So now we're committing many felonies on this episode. Uh, Dave, what do we got? What do we got uh, teed up this week? Yeah, so we have uh, Google's expectations of privacy, uh, VMware's expectations of profit. 
uh, my expectations of SE Linux and uh, your inflated expectations of productivity software. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and if folks want to learn more about the show, uh, where do they go for more information? Well, and to get into the book club, um, they want to go. Right. You've got to be eighteen or older. <laughs> That's um, right. Get in the van. Go to dgshow.org. <laughs> exactly. So it's D's and Dave, G's and Gunner Show.org. That's right. And on and uh, and at dgshow.org, uh, you can also listen to us on iTunes, and uh, we always appreciate uh, high ratings on iTunes. It helps us. Uh, helps folks learn about the show. Uh, but also at dgshow.org, uh, you'll. Uh, see the cutting room floor, all the uh, stories that uh, didn't make it into the episode this week, um, including what is this about a binary clock, Dave? Um, so it's like a kit of, of basically it's it's the most horrible, unreadable binary clock you've ever seen. And, and it's great. Um, more, more unreadable than a conventional binary clock? Yes. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's really bad. It's bit, yeah. So, yeah. So it's like it, yeah, so everything is is like in binary with LEDs, and it shows you the time, the date, and everything. So it's great. That's yeah. great. Um, and then uh, Texas Instruments has employed zombies. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. Right. And this is not a this is not a bankruptcy joke, and this is not a this is not a calculator joke. They're, they're actually, right. they're actually yeah. yeah, they're using they're using uh, graphing calculators to teach uh, STEM using uh, zombies. Okay, I'll I'll take it your word. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I got to go click on the links in the uh, in the cutting room floor. Okay. Um, let's see. So Dave, Google uh, has announced, or rather, has reminded everyone that uh, they have no legitimate expectation of privacy on their services. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I, I'm just imagining a number of Google account executives weeping into their beers right now um, after that <laughs> that came out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine that the uh, Google apps for business are flying off the shelves right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And well, so I guess there is some sort of lawsuit and the Google lawyers uh, said in their motion that just as a sender of a letter to a business colleague cannot be surprised that the recipient's assistant opens a letter, people who use web-based email today cannot be surprised if their emails are processed by the recipient's email provider in the course of delivery. Um, and then it also says, uh, indeed, a person has no legitimate expectation of privacy in information he voluntarily turns over to third parties. And so, you know, you could tell that was a lot of quotes that is like red meat for the uh, technology journalists that want to get um, people going to their website to read the article. Sure. Right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that was a lot from the register. Um, but also TechCrunch did a little more analysis. And um of you know, and and part of it, you know, they basically, instead of it being a whole lot of sensationalism, they they added some realism to it too. Of, well, yeah, well, you know, one part is well, well, duh, you know that you know, <laughs> right. they're doing that. Right. No headline um, here. Other, yeah. yeah, but the other part of it that um, that they brought up too is that there are certain you know by being able to read those things. Yeah, it's kind of creepy that you start getting ads related to certain things, but. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you know, what they, the other benefit that as an end user that you get is that by being able to merge a lot of these different things together of being able to read your calendar, read your email, um, you know, see where you're navigating to, um, to be able to help proactively, um, you know, tell you what's going on, you know, like mm-hmm. one of the things with uh, Google now, I don't know if, have you used Google now much? I have, I have, and I've actually been surprised at how much I'm using it. Um, it's an incredibly useful service. 
Um, yeah. 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 So, for, so, you know, like, I don't know if it's available now, but one of the things that they talked about in the article was like, you could say in the Google now is, Hey, you know, Google now is my flight going to be late. Mm-hmm. And so, well, yeah, you could go in and, you know, go into your email and look, look up that and then go to another website, plug it, plug in the flight number and all that stuff. But what it, Google now is going to, you know, go through your calendar and it's, it's going to infer a lot of things by putting this common picture of you together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, 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 the premise is that, you know, you're going to get a lot of value out of that. Mm-hmm. So that, but in exchange for that, you know, the, you know, Google wants to monetize that, you know, they got to pay their engineers and, the engineers need to put food on the table for their families, and the way they want to do that is provide uh, uh, context-relative ads to you. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess that's what people do in exchange. Um, yeah. So, but what, well, what do you what do you think about that? Well, so the, the, it's interesting on a on a couple layers. I mean, so, if you talk to uh, Apple bigots, what they will say uh, is that the reason Google is evil is because they're collecting all this information um, and they're ultimately beholden. Their customer is not you. The customer is the advertising firm, right? Mm-hmm. And so they have all this information about you and uh, they're going to make decisions about how to use that data based on what's going to make their customers happy and not what's going to make their users happy, right? So that's the um, so that's one approach, right? And then the Apple approach, they, they argue the Apple approach is, uh, is, is a better arrangement for the end user because the end user is the one paying Apple the, for the services. And so Apple's not beholden to a third party and um, can kind of mitigate some of the privacy concerns in this way. But, okay, fine. That's, that's uh, I guess, one way to think about it. The way I, the way I think about it, though, is um, if I hand this data over to, you know, I, I let Google handle email, right? Because Google's really good at handling email and I enjoy the Gmail service. Um, I let them mm-hmm. handle my, uh, you know, my calendar. I'll give them my calendar because I enjoy their calendar service. Um, and that would be fine. And I'm okay in exchange for getting advertising for that. Um, but in order to counterbalance it, I enjoy the stuff like Google now. Um, because what Google now lets me do is take advantage of all the data analysis that Google is doing anyway. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. So there's a, it's a, so it's uh, I don't know if fair is the right word because it's not uh, not maybe it's not a question of fairness, but it returns a balance of benefits, right? So that I am getting a lot more value out of giving Google my data than if I was uh, than if I was solely relying on context relevant ads. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or you look at say Facebook um, mm-hmm. as yeah. another one that right. You know they uh, it would be interesting to see what Google or Facebook says about you or me or you know whoever it's it and see how accurate that is um i I remember like on in my case on google i turn off my search history um Mm -hmm. which you know and i had it on by accident i don't know what happened i think i did some software update and it changed the default setting and i i went into google now and it had my search history from my desktop showing up there and it and it like Mm -hmm. creeped me out Right. That, oh, you're looking for motorcycle jackets or or whatever, yeah, and yeah. and you know, and I'm like, well, wait a minute, um, you're not supposed to know that, and right. but, yeah, of, of course they do. Yeah, 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 yeah that's right. Well, and, and so so I and I and the service is extremely valuable, right? Um, in fact, one cool thing I've noticed is that Google now will tell me about a flight I'm going to take just based on the fact that I got an email uh, like check-in notice from the airline. Um, yep. and so it says, Oh, you know, you got to check into us air flight, uh, you know, seven eighty six. Um, you know, here, okay. So now Google now shows me a card that says, Oh, us air seven eighty six is coming in on time at this gate. Um, 
that's pretty great, actually. Um, that's mm-hmm. a service that I that that I'm getting a great return on. I'm getting getting value out of having given them all of this data about me. Um, contrast with Facebook, uh, where in exchange for giving them an extraordinary amount of information about my behavior, what I like, what I don't like, and who my friends are, uh, I get to see a whole bunch of people's baby pictures. Right. Which is significant. Which you know. I like my friends just fine, uh, but I, I do not need an update from all from my girlfriend in high school, right? Um, that's a that's low value um, compared to uh, compared to something like Google now. Um, anyway, it's just kind of interesting to see the uh, what people are comfortable with, what they're not comfortable with, and where they find what they find valuable in exchange for the for their personal data. Right, and I think. Well, what about the other part of it too? Like you said, is that like you trust them with your email and your calendar, but you probably Everybody draws a line in a different place mm-hmm. as far as, you know, oh, well, what, what you're willing to give up in exchange for something else. And mm-hmm. um, I can imagine, like, I don't hear as much, well, and I don't know what Salesforce does, um, with, but, you know, Salesforce is, you know, they're, they're doing a lot. You know, people are paying for that service, and I'm sure it's all kept private, but, um, you know, companies trust Salesforce to keep the data safe and secure and all that. Um, I'm sure they're not reselling the information or or anything or putting ads in. You know, they're ma- you know the customer is the the person who's paying for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, I, I wonder too. It's like the, I think everybody has a different point as far as how much you're going to share. Where where you know, it's like you know, the kids today. You know, <laughs> being the old man. Um, you know, they're they're sharing a lot more than than you know people from my generation. Yes. Um, and and I don't know if that's going to come back to haunt them. In you know when they run for office or or what? Yeah, we're we're well, we're about to find out, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we will. <laughs> sorry. So, but uh, but you're you're. I think you're framing it in the right way, right? It's it's not an absolute question of whether I have perfect privacy or perfect security or um or transparency or you know, whatever the whatever the issues. Is. It's it's about making sure that you have the ability to make choices, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and making sure that you can change your mind later, right? Um, so like one of a really important feature of a lot of these services is your ability to delete your data, right. To walk mm-hmm. away from it. Um, and in fact, the EU passed rules about this, right. They, they actually recognize, I know nothing about EU law, so please don't write me an email, but, um, they have a rule. They have this, uh, right to be forgotten. Um, mm-hmm. so that if I'm using a, if I'm using an online service or I'm doing business with a particular company and I no longer want to do business with them, I should be able to tell them to get rid of all my stuff. Um, which is, a I think valuable. It's a, it's a nice way of nice way of framing it. And to the extent that these services allow us to throttle um, the amount of data we get, um, mm-hmm. and or uh, sorry, amount of data that we store and the amount of value that we get out of it, um, I think that's pretty good. The more knobs and dials on that stuff, the better, right? Well, but even even then, you know, you go to Twitter and say, oh, delete my account, and that you know it's deleted, maybe from the Twitter servers, but isn't the library of Congress or, or somebody yeah. is like, they're like collecting all the tweets ever created. Yep. And that's right. so, you know, it's like you delete it in one place. That's, you know, it's the thing I'm always telling my daughter of, of how about, you know, how the internet has a very long memory. And so mm-hmm. you've you got to be really careful what, what you put on Facebook or whatever. Yep. 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 Exactly. Right. Um, cool. So, the, so 
and, and in fact, you know, the customers that we talk to, Dave, they're, um, it is these privacy concerns. Or, or really, the privacy is just a flavor of a security concern, right? Um, mm-hmm. So they, you know, they have these security concerns. And so they, um, they'll they actually prefer, in a lot of cases, they'll prefer services that are on-premise. I mean, so this isn't news. Um, right. But you found, a, you found a quote from this uh, engineer at VMware who uh, predictably... Uh, believes that there's a false economy on infrastructure as a service, private clouds or infrastructure as, as a service. Yeah, and not not to pick on VMware. Um, there was oh no, some, no, no, we can it, pick on VMware. That's cool. We can okay. do that. Okay. Yeah. So the, there was this uh, Wired article entitled "Why Some Startups Say That the Cloud Is a Waste of Money," and and you know a lot of it was, and I agree that in some cases, like with uh, public cloud, you're going to pay a premium for the convenience and the elasticity and, and the flexibility, you know, it's there whenever you need it, just mm-hmm. like a rental car or, you know, things, a hotel room and things like that. It's, it's more expensive to get a hotel room um, than it is to uh, own a house for, you know, and divide that, you know, for one day. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's true for uh, cloud computing as well. And, um, you know, this article talks about that a lot, but, um, you know, there's the, some interesting quotes, you know, and they, they say that, um, um, and, and I agree that, you know, like the, the one guy from VMware, um, you know, he said that within IT departments, public clouds do tend to get more expensive over time when you uh, reach a certain scale. And I think that's, you know, for a startup that's starting out, it's, uh, you know, uh, a cloud is definitely a way to go. Um, because you don't have to have that outlay of capital, and you're going to pay a premium for that flexibility, but you don't have to make a capital investment to you know to be able to burst or 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 to be able to scale. Like all of a sudden, if you become wildly successful, you can scale without having to order computers, wait to have them delivered, get them provisioned, and all that. You could you could just grow out. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that I thought about from that article, though, is I, I think it really underscores the importance of. Um, I don't think you need the, the important part is, you know, if it's cool to get s- to start out in the public cloud um, and then maybe whenever you're successful to move to, you know, an internal cloud or virtualized infrastructure, once things stabilized and, and you have a better predict, uh, predictability of, of how much you need to grow. Um, but the really important part, though, is that if, if you want to go from uh, private to public cloud, um, you know, standardizing on APIs in a public cloud provider, um, you got to make sure that those APIs will work in your in your private cloud as well. So that's why, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm obviously a proponent of things like OpenShift, um, where you know you can deploy it in in a public cloud, um, and you get mad at OpenShift, and you know you can take the or you know or you can move it on premise and, and use uh, OpenShift Enterprise, or um, you get completely mad at Red Hat and OpenShift, and you can just run it on top of bare metal. Mm-hmm. Um, without uh, without a pass. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. No. Uh, uh, absolutely. I mean, we talked before about exit strategies, right? Um, mm-hmm. I mean the uh, the exit strategy, having an exit strategy, and having tools that facilitate or make your exit easier um, are a really important part of uh, of how you think about uh, dealing, uh, how you think about architecting around the these public clouds or these private clouds. And you know what, Dave? I'm actually I'm, I'm going to make a decision today. Are you ready? Yes. I am going to stop saying the word public cloud and private cloud. I am instead going to use the words public services and private services. Okay. Um, I think it's, I think, because cloud 
has a is freighted word. Um, I don't think that uh, it's a useful term uh, because it's been so overloaded. But when but we could have had that discussion we just had by using the term public services or private services because actually all the principles are the same, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if I could be talking about hiring an accountant, right? Um, so I could go and hire. Uh, I could. Uh, pay an accountant by the hour to do my books, that would be a public service, right? Uh, or I could uh, hire an accountant uh, to work for me, right? And that, mm-hmm. would be, uh, that would be a private service. But in either case, I want to make sure that when they do the books, they do it in a way that, um, that means I can fire them and I can hand those same books over to another accountant and he doesn't have to spend six months unraveling um, a bunch of secret codes, right? Right. Um, or a, a binary blob of, a binary blob. Some, yeah, out exactly. of some software. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's really, it's really no different. Um, I think when we, I, I'm guessing that when we talk about public clouds or private clouds, we're hinting at, uh, you know, there's some great mysteries behind a lot of this stuff, but really it's, it's just sound business decisions that we're accustomed to making in every other context. But I think just because we're using the word cloud, we have to kind of go through all this thinking as if we're reinventing it, right. Or as if we're inventing it brand new. Uh, but a lot of the stuff is just like sound business strategy, right. Am, so I, it, am I wrong about this that? This sounds like a, another law, uh, Helixson's law. Oh, you're making. right. So, you know, oh, that's good. Yeah, mark mark this time spot so you can yeah, tell right, Matt Mycini to get yeah, cracking. Yeah, to Matt, we need to... Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. And that reminds me, we've got to see how Gunner's Law is doing on the on the Wikipedia. Uh, we've got to see what their, uh, <laughs> what the status is. Uh, yeah. Can you like make a donation to the Wikimedia Foundation to like pump up the votes or... I'm sure Jimmy will, at this point, Jimmy Wills would be happy to take any kind of check. Um, but, <laughs> um, yeah, that would be interesting. You have, have Wikipedia take money in order to expedite uh, approvals for, uh, for new web pages. That would be interesting. Right. Mm-hmm. It, would, it would pay for the approvers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The right, right approvers. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Noted. Uh, all right. What else we got, Dave? So, yeah, so uh, newsflash here. Um, mm. The VMware CEO said that OpenStack is not for the enterprise. Oh, I knew it. I knew it. All right. I guess we'll just shut that business unit down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, again, this is more, I think, I, I don't know if it was quotes out of context or, you know, just, uh, but once you read the article, um, you basically the, uh, the article uh, from the VMware CEO says that he doesn't expect open source uh, the open source cloud project OpenStack to catch on significantly in the enterprise market, and instead he says it's more of a platform uh, uh, for service providers to build public cloud. So he sees OpenStack as more for like large scale people that want to compete against Amazon, as opposed to uh, just mom and pop that wants to stand up a. a pr- he doesn't see the the business market for a private cloud in, you know, just uh, maybe uh, on a smaller scale. Right. Okay. So HP, IBM, Mirantis, Nebula, all these guys are, they've done the, they've done the analysis and they're all making a terrible mistake. Yeah. Well, I, I, the way I think about it though, is that, you know, I don't think that the situation is as simple as, as he portrays that, you know, it's like, Oh, everything is when you know OpenStack is only useful in uh, the public cloud space, or it's uh, and it's you know, uh, for instance, VMware's products are only you know they're the best choice for a private cloud. Um, you know, I, the way I think of it is that um, you, in, where he's right is that you know you don't want to use OpenStack. 
for virtualized infrastructure workloads. It's you know it's not designed to do that. And mm-hmm. I, I think one of the reasons why people you know it's like OpenStack is so compelling for people is you know they a lot of times I think people incorrectly think that it's like a drop in replacement for VMware and right. maybe they they feel the pain of you know what they're paying for proprietary virtualization and think that there's uh, a better open source choice that's out there and they think that that choice is OpenStack mm-hmm. but for their virtualized infrastructure it's OpenStack probably isn't the right choice and and whereas something like uh VMware could be better or maybe Rev Red Hat Enterprise Virtualization could be better on a small scale because it's both VMware and Rev are much simpler to implement on a small scale. But once you want to go at, at, to be at a, a, a large scale, um, you know where where you may have hundreds or uh, thousands of hypervisors, that's where OpenStack really starts to shine. Mm-hmm. I th- it, that's interesting. So I. And maybe I'm thinking about it wrong. I'd be happy to be wrong about this, but I don't really think about OpenStack versus VMware over Rev as being a, a matter of scale. I, I always thought about it as a as a, um, a how you want to manage your servers, or it's a, it's a almost like a cultural decision. Oh yeah. Um, and so, or actually, put another way, an architectural decision, right? So, mm-hmm. the way you treat servers in an OpenStack deployment is very different than the way you treat servers in VMware and Rev, right? Um, famously, we've, and I think we've talked about it on the show, the pets versus cattle thing, right? Um, where VMware is good for pets, uh, where mm-hmm. you know servers that give them names and you feed them and you give them medicine when they get sick, um, and OpenStack is optimized for cattle, uh, which is another way of saying um, a whole bunch of servers totally replaceable, most of them probably stateless um, Mm -hmm. and horizontally scaled, uh, much Mm -hmm. more kind of web 2.0, kids in goatees and clever glasses kind of architectures uh, versus, uh, whereas VMware and Rev are really more like your your average like SAP backend, like traditional enterprise software, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's it's both of that too. And but I look at it from a like, oh, I want to do a private cloud. Mm-hmm. Um you could do a private cloud with Rev or mm-hmm. with VMware mm-hmm. on a small scale. Um but when if you're like say like trying to do like a Right, right. A, I see I see the, cloud the distinction you're Martin, making. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, where you may have hundreds of thousands of employees, it's it you know it's that uh, the public or the private cloud model doesn't work as well when when you're you know it's it, to me it's right you know it's one is like a nice ball peen hammer where the other one's a nice sledgehammer um, <laughs> and you want to depending upon you know what the nail is um, you know you want to use that right hammer. Mm-hmm. What does a ball peen hammer do, by the way? Um, I, 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 gr- I grew up I grew up with no manual labor. I have no calluses on my hands and my and I have lily white skin. I have I have another word ball peen hammer. I could probably sketch one for you. I probably know what it looks like, but I don't actually know what the function is. Like, what do you? What is the task that you accomplish with a ball peen hammer? Yeah, I don't I, know. You hit things. You hit things with it. Hit things with it. Mm-hmm. So, if anybody knows how a ball peen hammer works, uh, please write into the nerds at uh, dgshow.org. Let us know. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay. Yeah, you could tell we didn't do good in uh, Metal Shop. No, 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 we didn't, didn't do good in Metal Shop. <laughs> That's why we're in software. <laughs> That's why we're in software. That's right. That's right. Um, while everyone else was making, uh, you know, go karts and bombs, uh, we we were in study hall reading. Um, so can I can I lob a softball to you here? Yeah, let me have it. Okay. So here's one more quote. As as we're we keep 
continuing talking about VMware. Mm -hmm. um, the CEO said that people have largely adopted and have, ex um, let's see, people have largely adopted and have extremely large deployments of VMware, and the switching costs um, and so on of that are not particularly effective. So essentially he was saying that <laughs> yeah. um, he was looking at the switching costs of going from VMware to OpenStack, and he said that that the switching costs of going from uh, VMware to OpenStack are cost prohibitive. No kidding. <laughs> now, was he saying this as like a good thing or bad thing? Was this like... He, it's his... Well, I think it was his observation that it's like you shouldn't even bother trying it because he's observed people that have tried it and they have failed because it was too expensive. Right, because we've designed it to be extremely expensive to do that. <laughs> I just think that's really funny. I'm, I'm, uh, as we're talking here, I'm looking up a, a quote uh, from same guy, Pat Gelsinger, um, uh, and it, this was in, this was people called this his 35% uh, moment. This, uh, you know that ill-fated Romney speech uh, that got leaked, mm. uh, which mm -hmm. was you know extremely embarrassing because Romney thought that he was talking to uh, a limited audience and and was not without reporters yeah. without reporters. Um, and uh, there was a similar event at a, a Pat Gelsinger spoke at a VMware partner conference, right? So there, uh, the partners uh, all get together and hear what VMware's plans are for the year. Uh, the partners, of course, want to hear what VMware's cloud plans are. Um, and they're also very afraid of VMware entering new markets or offering new services that are going to uh, interfere with the partner's business, right? Um, so kind of standard software company tension built into this. So Pat Gilsinger gets up into a room full of these partners and, and says, we all lose if they end up in these commodity public clouds. We want to extend our franchise from the private cloud into the public cloud and uniquely enable our customers with the benefits of both. Own the corporate workload now and forever. Wow. Yeah. Um, it's, it sounds like he was having like a, like <laughs> five minutes of hate. Um, terrible so not surprised that the same guy is, is now saying oh yeah well people have as if and i like him using the passive voice too um you know this thing has happened um these are extremely large deployments and the switching costs are high and not particularly effective um yeah no kidding if you want to own the corporate workload now and forever you're going to make the switching costs as high as possible um if pat gelsinger could make it illegal to switch off of vmware he probably would right mm -hmm. um and that's just how per and it's not that he's evil um although i'm not I'm not excluding that as an as a possibility. Um, it's not that Bagel Singer is evil. It's that proprietary software incents companies to do this, right? Um, mm -hmm. It's when you when you when you own the software and you can extract rent from something that you've invented, you have all kinds of incentives to behave in this way. You have incentives to prevent people from going off and making a, uh, moving to another provider. Uh, you want to keep them on the property that you can extract rent from, right? Uh, makes mm -hmm. makes perfect sense. Um, on the other hand, of course, you know, open source software, uh, you actually have a, uh, you can't lock someone down. You can't prevent them from leaving. So what you have to do is keep incenting them to stay, right? Um, you know, give them, give them reasons uh, why they don't want to move. Um, and so that's, uh, which is a subtle but important difference, right? Uh, one's a stick and one's a carrot. Um, and so that's why, I don't know, that's why, that's why, I'm not sure if I could ever work for a proprietary company just because the, the, the incentives are wrong, right? I enjoy working for an open source company where uh, my job is to actually keep my customer as happy as possible so they don't move off to a competitor. I think that's great. Mm -hmm. yep. uh, that's, exactly. how, that's how we should be doing business, I feel. Not that anybody asked. Anyway, 
Uh, what's coming up? This what kind of David? So I don't know about you. I got some travel coming up here. Yeah, yeah. You're going to be spreading the gospel, huh? Yeah, I'm going to be spreading the good news. Um, I'll be in. A, I just got invited. I'm very excited about this opportunity. Actually, uh, North Carolina uh, invited me to their Data Palooza. Um, hmm. So they're they're having a big statewide open data event. Um, and apparently I'm keynoting, uh, which would be super cool. I have no idea what I'm going to talk about, but I suppose I'll figure that out between now and the event. Um, so what, what do people do at a data palooza? Uh, as I understand it, they drink cheap beer and watch live performances from folks like Jane's Addiction and uh, Beastie Boys. Hmm, nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, and they, uh, they uh, play with uh, state published data sets. Big data. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Between gigs, mm-hmm. like yeah. right, right there, but right there between, uh, say, Sublime and uh, and the Roots, um, yes. you can you can you can hack on state data. Nice. Yep. Data Palooza. Little joke. Is, is that joke even going to be funny? Does do people even remember what Lollapalooza was? Uh, you probably need to take a lot of muscle relaxants and pain pills to right. uh, appreciate the joke. Yeah, so old, so old. Um, all right. Uh, let's see. I'm also going to be, uh, I'll get more information on this later, but, uh, apparently I'm going to be talking at the, uh, <clears throat> National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST, uh, their, uh, mm-hmm. cloud computing work, their next cloud computing workshop. I'm going to be speaking of that thing. I'll include a link to that in the show notes. Um, but maybe most exciting Dave is the uh, government symposium coming up in October. Oh, yeah. That's going to be yep. great. Super yep. excited. Yep. So if you're yep. anywhere near the DC area, um, in October, uh, please go and register now. The registration's open. Uh, take a look at the agenda. We've got a great lineup of speakers, uh, including yours truly's. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. And I love doing events at the museum. That's a, yep. great, it's a great venue. Just beautiful. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, so, but Dave, you've been, you've been hard at work. I know, actually, this is a project you've been working on for a while, and it just got published, like, what, two days ago? Yep, yep. So um, this goes back to... Um, Last at the end of like last calendar year, around Thanksgiving or so, mm-hmm. um, where Dan Walsh and uh, um, you know Paul Paul um, Paul Moore mm-hmm. uh, in the SE Linux engineering team had an internal training on how to do MLS uh, on on with SE Linux using RHEL six. So um, a bunch. Oh of wait, SAs, hold on. We should we should explain what MLS is. Oh, multi level security. So it's it's basically it's a way to have. Um, be able to have a single system mm-hmm. that that runs at different uh, security levels. So I could have a top secret web server running on the same system as an unclassified web server, and and the the processes and the content and all that are completely separated by um, SE Linux force fields. Got it. And uh, oh, I like that SE Linux force fields. <clears throat> and that this is only interesting to people in the intelligence community, right? No, no, it's it's uh, DoD uh, uses it too. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's popular there. And then there's also uh, a, a, um, like multi-category security, which has even a broader use. Uh, so, for instance, um, so MLS talks about levels of security, like unclassified, top secret. You could also have multiple um, multi, multi-category security, where you could have um, people that have a need to know or read and write medical records, but not um, say like patient billing information and vice versa. Um, so you could do it's MCS on, on a Rollbox too and use SE Linux to do that. And anyhow, it's like we had the class, 
a bunch of the essays took copious notes um, using Etherpad. We crowdsourced it all. And I, I took all the notes and I basically synthesized it into a video series tutorial. And so it's a, a nine-part video series that I um, – it's, and it's not like a Ken Burns marathon sort of thing. <laughs> it's like, like 28 hours. It's like each each part is like, like four or five minutes. It's basically like YouTube link sort of video. So one of the segments that just got published was how to do – how to install uh, MLS, the MLS policy, and activate it on um, on RHEL 6, and you can do it, and, and the video is about four minutes long, so it's, you could knock that out over a cup of coffee. Oh, great. Oh, very cool. Oh, that's yeah. super handy. Um, well, excellent. Um, let's see. And yet another, yet another service uh, available to subscribers um, for, for folks that have Red Hat subscriptions. Um, which is always, it's really nice to see that we're, f- that we're filling out that customer portal with, a, with all this content and, you know, knowledge base and mm-hmm. the forums and the questions, um, all the videos from summit, uh, are up there. Um, anyway, there's a, it's, you know, in, I don't think we ever talked about this as something that was a valuable part of a Red Hat subscription in the past, but, um, but I know that the customer portal has suddenly become this incredible asset and it's only mm-hmm. just been in the past just since the relaunch right which was what about a year and a half ago mm-hmm. yeah yeah so. it's it's fantastic mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. That, that you know it's i always kick myself whenever i have a linux problem and i start googling for the answer and you know a half hour later it's like i wonder if there's something in the customer portal that and it has the answer like in like 10 seconds of oh this is actually 10 customers have verified that this was a problem and this was a solution right. and right. it's right. like ah oh. yeah yeah it's really powerful. And the other part, too, is that um, the content isn't written exclusively by the people in our support organization. So it's it's done by people like me and you and, and, and our support people and people in engineering and people presented at the summit and everything. Mm-hmm. So it's um, it's it basically it's like whenever I find somebody doing good content, I'm, internally I'm like, oh, man, you got to talk to our – customer portal people and, and get that, you know, turned around. If it's not super secret stuff, let's, let's get it out there so other people could benefit from it. And, yeah. and, you know, it really adds more value to the subscription. And, and again, it's like compared to Google searching and you don't know if the right answer was done by, you know, some, uh, you know, was this solution done by a kid in somebody's basement or is this done by a kernel committer or, you know, who did it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. So let's see. I, uh, so, oh, uh, I spent the last, uh, this last weekend, uh, shaving, shaving the yak. Did I tell you about this? I know that Lauren uses shaving the yak, um, a lot now. <laughs> you know, it's like, She's oh, we don't sh- want to do a, you know, a lot of yak shaving to get scratched it up here. And, you know, that's so, great. Yeah. Her, 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 her new comp sci teacher is going to love that. Yeah. Um, does she know bike shedding yet? I, I need to introduce her to that, which, um, yeah, I know speaking of Matt Mycini, he turned, he turned me on to that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Bike shedding is a. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, if if uh, if folks listening don't know yak shaving or bike shedding, uh, you can you can look them on Wikipedia. Um, it's these great, uh, like, rich, illustrative metaphors for <clears throat> a certain kind of thinking, which I fell victim to um, this uh, uh, over the last couple of days. Last, last episode. Week. In fact, the last episode, right? We talked about my move to uh, task paper, um, mm-hmm. which uh, so. Fine. Task paper is good um, for a class of problem. Uh, I found that it was insufficient. Um, there was no good way of doing reminders. Um, there was no, 
no good way of doing repeating tasks, which is a huge part of the stuff that I keep track of. Also, the syncing was weird and the, and the UI on the stuff was weird. So I was like, all right, um, let me go take a look at some other tools like OmniFocus and things. And, it's, and so you can imagine this rat hole I went down. And so about $100 in, uh, in apps later. Oh um, I, I know. Um, I came out the other end and I was like, oh my God, I'm back to remember the milk. This is crazy. Um, but interestingly, I came back to remember the milk with a completely different list of tasks than I had when I had started. So remember the last episode, I was talking about how, um, the, remember the episode before that, uh, it was 23 or 24. We're talking about the, the importance of openness and uh, openness not, not being a noun, but a verb, right? Or not mm-hmm. being an adjective, but being a verb, right? So um, uh, stuff is only valuable when you make these changes. And I realized that I periodically go through this uh, kind of a snake shedding its skin <laughs> kind of renewal uh, where I will try and take a, a tool that I rely on every day um, and go and switch it out with something else and see if I enjoy that new tool better. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's what I did apparently with Remember the Milk is I left it and I went to go took, take a little tour, see what the world was like. Um, it was relatively easy, not as easy as I would like, but it was relatively easy to move tasks from one, uh, from one to another. Um, and when I was done, I, I happened to end up back at Remember the Milk and um, made a number of changes to the way that I use Remember the Milk informed by this little tour that I took through, uh, through productivity tools. Um, anyway, it was kind of a, it was an interesting exercise, right? So, um, well, how are you doing things differently now? Well, so now, oh God, there's a whole blog post in this, I'm sure. I just haven't read well, it yet. We could save it for next uh, episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to get around to writing it down, though. So let, let me, in broad strokes, here's, here's what I did. Um, what I realized is that I was, so the, uh, rem- remember the milk as a very basic taxonomy, right? You have lists mm-hmm. and then you have tasks, um, and tasks can be tagged. Um, and so using those basic tools, you can actually develop some pretty complex workflows. Um, what I, the mistake I had made was that I was using projects, right? Which is like groups of tasks. I was using that first as a way of designating context and second as a way of designating, uh, uh, kind of an area of responsibility, right? So I would have one project, which would be like work, another project, which would be home, another project, which would be like, I don't know, whatever dog, right. Um, mm-hmm. turns out that's not a good way to organize this stuff. Um, what I was, I was being way too stingy with the number of lists or the number of projects that I had made. Um, and instead I found it a lot more useful to create a, anything that had more than two tasks, I created a project for. So now instead of like seven or eight, projects or lists in remember the milk, I now have like 30 or 40. Wow. Um, and so, and each one of them is like clean motor oil out of trunk of car. Okay. Well, what is that? What is that? That, you know, in a normal, normally I would just make that a task, right. And then it would mm-hmm. sit on my task list forever because there's no obvious next step. So instead mm-hmm. I made that thing a project or I made it a list and what's the first list. Okay. Well, the first list is go find somebody who's willing to clean, you know, find a service that's willing to clean the car out. Okay. Well, when am I going to do that? Okay. Now I get a schedule time with those guys to go clean out the trunk of the car. You know, it's actually like a two or three or four step process. Um, mm-hmm. anyway, by taking a lot of these things that I had previously been tasks and making them projects and getting a lot more specific about what the, what the next step was, um, that gave me a much better handle on all the things that were going on in my life. Um, 
And then each task, uh, I'm using the tags to give them a context uh, so that I can quickly know, like, oh, if I'm, I have time for a phone call, I can just click on and phone and see the phone tag and see the list of everything was tagged with phone. So that's all the things I can do on the telephone. Um, anyway, some, some changes like that, uh, which give me a much better sense of the work that was in front of me. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think that I would have been able to do that refactoring or that kind of reorganization if I hadn't taken this tour through all these other tools if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but still, I, I think that, the, and you probably agree with me, like the Remember the Milk interface is just so 2003. It's, it's horrifying. It's, it's horrifying. Yeah. 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 And, it's, and to me, it's like, like, you, like you, so you probably have a tab for you know, each one of the projects, like remove oil from the trunk. Um, and, but you know, in many ways, just visually, I would think of being able to almost do like an outline where you can indent um, yeah. and have yeah. like sub projects and see it all in one space. Yep. Where like n- now, you know, like when I run Remember the Milk, I I look at all the tasks all at one time and everything is sort of so it's almost like it's sort of by things that are due, mm-hmm. and so you know I know the things that I, I got to get done. Whereas if I had thirty different projects, it would. I would have to look at 30 different tabs and how, how do you keep up with that? Or how do you make sure that you're on track? Yeah. Great question. So, um, so the, so the, so the first thing I did was, uh, the most important thing about remember the milk is the smart lists. Um, so you can create a search for tasks and then save that search as a list, uh, which will automatically update, um, as the tasks change. So, uh, I have one for today, one for upcoming, uh, which is all the tasks do all the tasks that are either overdue or due in within I think uh, a week. Uh, so that's a list. Um, I have a whole I have a list uh, by context. So I've got one for phone. I have or, uh, phone errands, home, etc. And that is a search for everything that is both upcoming and tagged with errand or tagged with phone and so on and so on. Um, so I have these like, I have these smart lists set up that will really quickly be able to give me a list of everything that I need to do in a particular context. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yep. Um, and then, uh, the other piece of advice I have on that is yes, you can get overwhelmed by all, like all of these tasks. Um, this system that I've seemed to have settled on, uh, would be literally impossible without, uh, the, a bit better RTM plugin. Um, there's one for Firefox and one for Chrome. Um, mm-hmm. and what it does is it injects some fake JavaScript or well, JavaScript's real. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I said fake. Um, it injects JavaScript into the remember the milk website and takes the tabs that run along the top and actually moves them to the left-hand side. So it lets them run down the left-hand side of the page. Um, make, makes it much easier to read and it's a, a huge improvement. Um, again, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, Thankfully, Remember the Milk is a web app um, rather than being a compiled app on a um, on the desktop uh, because it means that some hacker can come in and go screw around with the JavaScript and the HTML to make the layout sensible. Um, mm-hmm. If this was a if this was a <clears throat> one of the reasons I left a lot of these other tools I'm talking about is just because the UI didn't work for what I wanted them to do, um, and there was no way for me to change the UI. Uh, but fortunately, Remember the Milk web based so. Um, we can go in and write our own JavaScript and use Grease Monkey scripts to go and hack up the web page and make it work the way we want. So, but well, in some ways, though, I, there's so much opportunity for somebody to disrupt. Huge! This. Oh my God! I, yeah, and, and you know, you look at the crop of—I mean, it's the world is out of 
to do apps, right? <laughs> I mean, like you could go to the, I, I don't know how many apps there are in the productivity section of the, of the, uh, the Apple marketplace or the Apple app store or, or the Android store. Um, but it, there are so many of them and so many of them are so rudimentary and, and really just like insufficient, uh, for mm-hmm. what people want to do. And what's funny too, is that it's, you know, there's the, people who are obsessed with finding productivity apps as I uh, obviously am, um, you're either most of, most people will subscribe to like a getting things done as an example. Right. Mm -hmm. And there are so few tools that focus on getting things done and actually execute it in an easily understandable way. Um, people hold up like, uh, I'm well into a rant here and I'm, I think I'm even boring myself talking about this, but there is suffice to say, yes, Dave, there is a huge opportunity for, um, apps that help people implement the getting things done system, uh, and apps that are simple, uh, that are web-based, that are multi-platform, uh, and conform to open standards, make it easy to, to move, uh, from, from one particular application or implementation to another huge opportunity. Yeah. Well, also there's, I'm also surprised that, that the task manager inside of, uh, Google isn't that good. Yeah. Yeah, how about it? You know, it? it's it's like, oh, I need to remember to buy a new motorcycle helmet. Boy, is that an opportunity to give me context relative? You know, or <laughs> yeah, relevant yeah, ads, totally, right, right. right. Um, yeah. Or buy a new car. Um, you know, find uh, remove oil from you know my thing, and it would it would you know you would think Google now could have some suggestions of of uh, local people who could, and it could almost come up with a list for you intelligently of of the things that you need to do. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you what's what's even more crazy. Is that one thing I learned in my exploration is that uh, unlike virtually every other calendar uh, calendaring tool, the Google Calendar doesn't natively support tasks. Mm-hmm. The task thing is like a totally separate system, um, yep. and so <clears throat> a lot of tools that rely on being able to use the tasks elements of the CalDAV standard um, are broken or they just don't work with uh, on the Google Calendar, uh, which I thought is just crazy town. Um, it's a real a huge surprise, uh, and especially and for the reason you mentioned, right? I mean, it seems like Google would want me to. Like, I'm making a shopping list. What a great opportunity for a context, you know, for for a contextual ad. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense. I don't. I don't. I don't know why they. I don't know. Lost opportunity. Lost opportunity. Yeah, and and also you think about it too is that, like in my case, I use like AdBlock Plus on my web browser, mm-hmm. um, so I don't see any ads like on my desktop but <laughs> on your mobile phone it's pretty hard to prevent apps from showing up or i'm sorry ads from showing up so it's like really i mean that's uh, so Catch such it, an opportunity right? yeah, yeah totally yeah all right uh what do you say dave yeah you ready to uh call it an episode i am ready to call it an episode i'm ready to, ready to button this up the uh that productivity talk got me all worked up I'm all. I'm in, I'm, in a, I'm in a sour mood now. I'm gonna go. Angry. You should go make a uh, task management thing based on OpenShift. I I I, I should I should or uh, more likely I, I'm gonna write a I'm gonna try and find a Kickstarter for that and, and go contribute to it, which is I think my comparative advantage. Um, all right, Dave. Well, uh, let's see. I will see you in two weeks, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. We definitely have a nice pipeline of episodes that we can get out, but. Um, for people that that miss us a lot um, and need to uh, catch up on um, all the, all the 
show notes and things like that, where do they need to go? Uh, they need to go to a dgshow.org. Uh, that's D as in downfall, uh, G as in Gelsinger, uh, show.org. Okay, great. Well, thanks a lot, Gunnar, and thanks, everybody, for listening. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.